Hello and welcome to Super Humane Vitae. I'm John Kaminsky. And I'm Brendan Lyons. And we come to you with part three of The Vision. Okay, you're still not impressed by my uh, phantasmic presentation. No, I just thought maybe we were going to get serious here, but uh, I guess... Oh, oh, oh. No, 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 please, go on. Let's let's make a mockery of this subject. (laughs) (laughs) Just... I've decided to become the serious one. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, we have switched roles from the straight man to the uh, the comedic foil, and yeah, well, whatever. Apparently, what do I know about comedy? I, I prefer play by play and color analyst, but yeah. I'm also a, a sports sportsman, a sports tater. Sports t- spectator is the word. <laughs> you could be the very first sports tater. <laughs> But I feel like that would just be somebody who watches sports and talk about it, which is just, which is just a sports ca- a sportscaster anyway. Look, just embrace your role as a pioneer, Brendan. Okay. We're, we're all just along for this breakneck journey into uncharted territory. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, yes, uh, Brendan has set me straight that we are, in fact, getting into a deadly serious discussion of a robot. Yeah, so we have the story of the Vision, a synthesoid, a, an artificial life form that's not exactly a robot, not exactly an android, but he is mechanical. And he has a picturesque family life in Washington, D.C., except not really. Well, I mean, Hieronymus Bosch made similar paintings. I, I am unfamiliar. We're just going to throw, uh, all right, well, I'm going to throw Hieronymus Bosch out there. And he made paintings of the horrific underworld. Come on, man. I'm going to definitely Google this. It's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> so so what you're telling me is it's perfect right before like I go to bed. Uh, yes. If, yeah, if I have a, a late night of work, just Google some of those images and I'll be set for an all-nighter, maybe. Yeah, no, that, that would work. That's nothing to be afraid of if you're prepared for death. Yeah, so ill So the vision. And, uh, <laughs> so the vision. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll uh, find some other opportunity to get into. Um, oh, why am I suddenly blanking on the Latin about memento like mori? A, yes, thank you. Oh there my gosh, go. <laughs> I think that was going to bother me. Yes, memento mori. But the vision, yes. So the vision's wife, Virginia, has instead of a skeleton in a closet, a reaper in her yard. Their yard. I just say wife with a question mark. Uh, well, as we go through this story, I think there's a few question marks as far as. That goes, can you fabricate your own spouse? Hmm. Well, I, I'm sorry. Are you an expert on robot common law? Uh, you don't know that I'm not? You know what? You're right. <laughs> you don't know it, but I've got plaques and certificates on my wall that <laughs> may look like they're written in crayon, but I assure you are legitimate and accredited. Well, okay then. Well, I guess certificates can't be credited. You can get them from accredited places. Ah, more tangents. Great. Hey, so... <laughs> Sorry, I derailed us. So the last we left off, the vision was brought into the local police station because there's some fishy stuff going on. And you know what? The police are right to uh, be investigating the vision and his family on this. 
And it's during this interrogation that the vision brings up how he has repeatedly saved humanity and how his, I guess not authority, but I guess just that he's like beyond reproach morally, but he does lie in the interrogation. Well, he's doing his best impersonation of a uh, law and order suspect that you know did it. Mm. (laughs) Sir, I am a pillar of this community. How dare you? Harumph, harumph. I donate to the policeman's ball every year. <laughs> it, it's actually very much like that. No, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, he's like, he's trying to more or less not intimidate him with like, you know, force, but intimidate him with like, really, you're going to drag me through the mud here? Like, you're going to, this is the thing you want to do? You want to stick your neck out there and do this, take this hero in? Like, mm-hmm. it's a very human reaction, which I know is what he was going for. So good for him. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, trying to be human. And, uh, well, depending on how you define all that. He's getting the worst parts down. Yeah, so it seems. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, he comes home and... One of the things that we're seeing as the story progresses, and it certainly was the case at the end of issue five, is that there's there's like a slow sort of breakdown within the family. And mm-hmm. I guess you find this as Virginia and other members of the family start to kind of repeat phrases or words, which the way I read it is it's it's like they have a glitch or something like that. Mm-hmm. The stresses and the the stresses of trying to adapt to this life and trying so hard to be human, as well as creating lies that build up on one another and trying to maintain those lies. It's working away at them. And by the end of the that issue, a, the, a table is shattered because Virginia just releases sort of this pent up anxiety and anger. Uh, you know, it is an interesting, um, gosh, I wish I had thought about this when I actually read it through because hmm. the, I guess the computing power of the human brain and the complexity of it is a pretty difficult thing to replicate mm-hmm. by a computer. You know, computers can do some amazing things, but even the things that they can do, things that they can figure out are often based on something that was designed and figured out by a human to allow it to do that, which actually leads us very well into the next issue. Indeed, it does. Well done. So we have this, well, first of all, in the background, we see the neighbor leaving and um, he clearly very much likes his dog. But as we go through this, there's this little dis- kind of uh, description of, I'm not sure what to call it. I'm not sure if it's like a mathematical principle exactly. Well, it says it's a math problem, but P versus NP. And the basic gist from what they give you, I, I'm you know I'm not going to pretend to be a, a, a great mathematician um, or an expert on the subject. But basically, they're saying if you have two types of problems and P represents a problem that a computer could solve in a reasonable amount of time. So usually that's that's your kind of thing of like adding numbers, multiplying things that, you know, you can program an algorithm to create. So like they don't do a whole bunch of random computations until it becomes correct. They follow something that's been placed in them to figure it out. So it solves the problem through a process that's been programmed. And that's your, that's what it's calling P. I don't, like I said, I'm not 100% sure if it's like a mathematical principle that's, or if they're just talking about it this way. So then there's NP, which is a problem that doesn't have shortcuts, is the way the book puts it. Um, so what do they mm-hmm. say? These problems have solutions. Indeed, if you have a solution and you ask a computer if this solution is correct, the computer will tell you if it is or is not. 
So the computer can tell you if you're right or wrong. However, the computer can't solve it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the computer can't either doesn't have the algorithm programmed in its brain or it's a complex problem that it would need to compute over and over again until it randomly found the answer. I, I believe what they they are suggesting is that Vision is getting Vision and his family are getting into NP territory wherein there's just no matter what they do, they're still a computer designed, even though they're computer designed by a computer, that computer was designed by a person. So even though like AI can manipulate algorithms, it's still limited in what it can do based on the algorithms it can manipulate. Whereas the human brain is limited only by what it can conceive in like a little bit different of a way. So I, I think that's what they're getting at here. And it makes a lot of sense because that's kind of the way it is with the, the human human brain. Like a human can paint a picture. A computer could paint a beautiful picture if it was programmed to do that by a human. And it may be a very advanced version, but it still had to have a human initiate it, I think is what they're getting at here. Like he's trying to solve human problems daily, but he's limited by what he's been programmed in. Does that make sense? It does. I know that later in the story, there's going to be a scene or two where the subject of playing the piano mm-hmm. will come up and sort of the idea of being able to play the piano pre-programmed. But anyway, but we'll maybe come back to that later. But I think it's an interesting point in terms of like how how art exists through mm-hmm. the human mind and that sort of thing. What, although it's inter- I think overall the story does kind of reveal in subtle ways how humans are not so simple as one might suppose that there's a lot of nuance and complexity. But as far as the PMP argument, it does sort of almost have a despairing attitude of if there are or if there are problems that computers cannot practically solve and we we don't have some of the same shortcuts that computers do that there's sort of this attitude of, well, what hope then would a human being have? Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, here it is. Alternatively, if NP does not equal P, then there simply are problems, problems with solutions that computers cannot solve. And as such, given our own limitations, the great questions of this life would forever remain unanswered. Yeah, that starts to my mind kind of getting into things like art things like morality things like metaphysics philosophies so questions well i mean based on sort of this it's almost like it's suggesting like well so a computer could tell you if you were to present it like i think this is the meaning of life that a computer could potentially tell you yes or no that this is well maybe not maybe that's kind of not a great example well i mean we know the answer is 42 we're already Darn it. See, I knew that was a bad example. <laughs> well, I, and I guess I, if, if you back up a little bit from where they do say, so sure. are there are there actually shortcuts to every solvable problems? Have we just not yet discovered these elusive methods, these lost algorithms? So, mm. yeah, I, I, I think it still kind of points to like, I understand that like, they get to the, he says, you know, OK, you know, if it's you know, is there stuff that we'll never understand if everything isn't. I mean, I think really he's basically saying is, is there anything that's not discoverable? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and he seems to be kind of taking it from, 
by he, I mean the writer, taking it from the angle of if there's things that can't be discovered by computer processing, you know, we might just not ever know them. But Mm -hmm. he also like includes that, well, or do we just not know the algorithm yet? Mm -hmm. But that would still have to be us discovering it, I, I, I would think. So... I don't know. I'm, I'm not 100% on, on where exactly he's going with that. But it's an interesting mm-hmm. thought of if, and what I think is interesting, sorry, is if there are things that cannot be understood, how does a human handle that versus uh, artificial intelligence? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know if that's maybe a bit of a theme here. But mm. anyway, <laughs> as that's <Yeah>. going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the dog, the neighbor's dog, has been taken around the yard and it uncovers the reaper's body, which I guess it's the scythe that it taps or triggers or something like that, which fries the pooch. Mm-hmm. And we we cut briefly to uh, the Vision and his family sitting around the dinner table and he's relating a humorous anecdote and he hears the commotion in the yard. He goes out to investigate and he sees... The cook dog. Wow, I'm really not being very sympathetic, am I? I'm, I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty cavalier, but I don't know. There's, it's kind of a, I don't know, just, just a bizarre kind of sight. It's like, oh yeah, so small dog digs up super villain and it gets just shocked. It's, it's very kind of almost yeah. cartoonish, even as it's macabre. The neighbor comes over. It kind of fast forward. I don't know. Maybe it's like a day or two later. And uh, oh, actually, it says the next morning. And uh, he's like, oh hey, uh, dog hasn't been seen in a while. Just sort of. Wanted to see if you guys had spotted him. And Virginia is suspicious as all get out and seems, uh, gosh, I don't know. Like she, she seems to be having like almost like a nervous breakdown, sort of in progress kind of thing. Yeah. Or, well, I don't know. I, I probably shouldn't be using a descriptor or an example that I don't have a, a full understanding of, of like how, what those symptoms are and well, how people sure. react to that. But she's presenting this continued facade of, uh, a happy housewife and j- insisting that the neighbor come in to check for the dog whereupon he discovers that the inside of the house looks like a war zone and furniture walls just everything looks wrecked and uh virginia's trying to come up with an excuse or a story about remodeling and saying how she read somewhere that to get clean there's necessary turmoil and so and she wants to be clean i think is the way that she puts it and we're supposed to suppose that this is the necessary part of the process then or outcome Mm. they get to the backyard the yard looks completely uh dug up or demolished and uh, when the neighbor asks if they're putting in a pool she says oh yeah definitely that's that's what that crater is for. That is for a pool. Yep. They uh, they come across the, uh, well, a couple of things. The neighbor comes across Captain America's lighter from World War II, which we'll eventually figure in the story. Although it, I was kind of like, why do they keep coming back to this lighter? Um, it does, does seem to get some kind of explanation in terms of its import a bit further down. But um the other thing is Virginia brings out the cookie pan that's been pretty demolished. And, yes. uh, you know, you would think with the Reaper's rather distinct helmet <laughs> there that there would almost be like some impression, like a very distinct impression in there. Like, oh, here's this helmet shaped dent in your cookie pan. You may have it back, sir. Don't be suspicious at all. Yeah. But yeah, that just kind of happens. And we no, kind of life sometimes. 
Well, yeah, isn't it just? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, something about cookies in this story. It's, hmm, the juxtaposition is jarring. I mean, maybe Indeed. that's probably supposed to be the case. But, it's just, uh, you know, terrifying cookies. Uh, yeah, it keeps me up at night. It's, oh, cookies. Uh, speak, well now we're going to keep you up at night listener with these bizarre exercises in what passes for comedy at least for me the vision is we find i i don't know if he's like in the basement or something but he's we find removing the brain of the dead dog and he'll be as one it, does as as one does to upgrade it, I guess, into a robot body, very yeah. Frankenstein-like. Like you do, you know. Like you do. Throughout this series of panels, through this montage of that process, which is a bit unsettling, we get some captions that reflect a conversation that seems to have occurred between Vision and Virginia after he had discovered the body in the ground and got some explanation as to what actually happened in the aftermath of the reaper attack and we're led to believe that the vision responded in a rare moment of real emotion i guess that he must have been pretty upset because the (laughs) they're not remodeling the house there is no pool i'm sorry to to break it to anybody who was holding out on I was describing the vision's glorious robot pool, but no, this, this seems to have been caused in part due to a a fit of rage because the implications are layered. I guess the vision was lied to by his wife and now he's, he has to deal with the consequences of those actions and decide what to do in response to them. And on the, the one hand, trying to, be forthright and truthful to the local law authorities would be uh, the right thing to do, but it would put his family in jeopardy. And so he's he's choosing between the maintaining the family that he's created versus trying to restore truth and justice. Right. So, yeah. I, it's, he, it's, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, he's, we see him rationalizing it. He's, he's apologizing. He's saying like, you know what? I was upset, but after you've talked through it, I see why you did what you did. And uh, how does he put it? it? There seems to be a sense of sort of almost forced composure or something like that. Or he's trying mm-hmm. to trying to trying to make this fit into something that's logical and something that makes sense and still allows him to maintain a sense of order in the life that he's created. Mm-hmm. He says, yes, Virginia, I understand Virginia. I regret my initial reaction and I appreciate your explanation. The reaper, the burial, the blackmail, the dead boy, your actions do seem necessary. I simply wish you had informed me earlier. You see, darling, not knowing what happened, I lied to the local police force about your whereabouts the night of the boy's death. Were I now to reveal what had been done, this lie would be apparent. A lie would confirm doubts some have had about me, doubts stemming from my creation at the hands of Ultron when he first stole Wonder Man's brainwaves to bring me to life. I would lose the trust of the Avengers, and without this trust, I could not adequately support you in the days ahead. You would be subjected to the whims of all the people who see us only as wires and electrodes. The people who do not understand what we are attempting to accomplish. 
or rather those who do not understand that we are not attempting to accomplish anything. We are just, we are. So one thing I noticed throughout all that, when you say not knowing what happened, I lied to the local police force about your whereabouts the night of the boy's death. Maybe I'm reading too much into the particular wording. It seems like he recognizes that he lied. Like he has to face that, like even before knowing what Virginia had done. Well, it's an interesting, it's interesting that he would say, since I didn't know where you were, I lied rather than, Mm -hmm. I I didn't know where you were. I could have lied for you. Right. Exactly. It's like, no, he, he, he just did lie. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so is that, was, has he been suspicious? Is he like, why, why lie then? Yeah. So I, I think it's revealing of something that I I've kind of read into this story, which is that there is a certain level of recognition from the vision that things are wrong or something's not right. Um, but that he's kind of almost willing ignorance, like he's trying not to to look at that. So I I think this is just kind of one of those things that kind of supports this idea I have in my mind of like, he kind of, he kind of knows that things aren't all okay, but like he just forces himself to believe otherwise, or he convinces himself or he rationalizes his way through. Well, I mean, he has an interesting, um, in, in his quest to, to, be like to just fit in like humans he hasn't been afraid to put his um well-being above that of of humans which is a fairly human thing to do Mm. (laughs) not the best of humanity but as i said he seems to be successfully embracing the worst of humanity Mm. so yeah. 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 So he tries to, to talk through that. At the end of that, where he says, we just are, was kind of striking as well. Um, I did. I, hmm. I'm curious what you think about it. At first, I, I was kind of not sure that that was a, a sound. How do I put it? Let me restart that. So when he says we just are, there's, there is a certain amount of, I guess, consonance with maybe how Catholics would view life to an extent. I think there is a greater sense of purpose and mission in each of our lives, but I do think that there's a value just from existing that by virtue of the fact that God willed us to be that that in itself has sort of its own value in itself. In addition to sort of the particulars, if that makes sense. No, it does. I think that, I think that that does touch on something, although it's something very Catholic, although whether it actually would apply to a synthesoid is right. 
I mean, me having already declared that he's not a person would suggest to me that it doesn't really apply to him. But again, this is a comic book, so that might not really matter. So it does kind of, I'm sorry, well, it's a fictional story. So we have to accept that there's a synthesoid. So we can accept some application of Catholic thought. Mm. You know, but he is kind of saying like, you know, um, so he says, rather those who do not understand that we are not attempting to accomplish anything. Like he's kind of, he seems to be suggesting, he's like, I don't want to lose the trust of the people that like, I want to just accept that I'm alive and get to live. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't want to have to justify my existence mm-hmm. because I'm alive here now. But there are those who don't see me as something who's either whose existence is justified is not justified, or like you shouldn't exist at all, or your right to exist is contingent on your behavior, or <laughs> like what you can do, which is actually it actually is very much adjacent to the pro-life movement argument mm. you know which i would say stems some i have stems from which there are, there are non-catholic pro-lifers who might disagree that this stems directly from it but a catholic idea of inherent human dignity mm. so he just wants to have it accepted that he has inherent dignity by the fact that he is alive and here mm-hmm. and he fears upsetting the people who don't feel that he has that, you know, and and giving them a reason essentially to act on their feeling that he doesn't really have that inherent dignity and he either has to earn it or has to keep acting a certain way to to keep it. This again, though, is actually, this is actually a pretty astute observation of the worst of humanity as well. Hmm. (laughs) This idea that he knows there are people out there that don't think he should exist and are looking for a reason to be like, yeah, look, this guy doesn't, this thing shouldn't exist Mm -hmm. or this thing shouldn't be here. So like, it doesn't even just, it's not even just like pro-life specific issues, you know, that it touches on racial issues and the Mm -hmm. way some people look at even people with disabilities too. Mm -hmm. It's like those sort of, I don't want, I don't want to just say minorities because I think like minority groups, because I don't think, I don't just mean ethnic minorities. I mean, just small groups, people, people with certain disabilities, people with, Anyone who is like on the lesser, you know, the lower, the smaller side of things, I guess. The who, marginalized, maybe. Marginalized. Thank yeah. you. That's what I'm looking for. Anyone who has that at some time ends up, I'm sure ends up with that feeling of, you know, what's what's going to happen if this larger group of stronger people who doesn't really either is indifferent to my existence or would be happier without me suddenly has a reason for me not to be around anymore. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and like you can look at like super super bad really i guess really striking versions of this like you know russian pogroms and mm. and the holocaust and you can look at i mean segregation in the united states is a similar sort of thing it was a sort of like okay well you know if, if they don't want us to be where they are they will just move us similar to what colonists and you know the united states government did to Native Americans, when they decided they didn't want them on certain land, they're like, oh, well, I mean, they're like, oh, let's find a reason to move them, then we will. Mm. So I, I think that that's kind of the the tension he's feeling would, would be my, yeah. I don't know, I might be reading way too much into it, but I think he's feeling the tension of somebody who knows that there are people around him 
who don't think he belongs there. And yeah. all he wants to do is be allowed to live because he should, it shouldn't even be a question <laughs> that he should just be allowed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those are all, all good points and all ones that came to mind when I was, when I was reading that. Yeah. And I think you put it well when you said that he doesn't want to feel like he has to justify his existence mm-hmm. in terms of somebody asking him, it's like, well, what, I don't, well, I, I could be going far afield in terms of a utilitarian idea of like, what, what will you do or what can you provide or like what's asking what your agenda could actually be a good question because depending on what that is, well, yeah, that could present legitimate concerns. But I think sort of the simplicity of the idea that he's not, he doesn't have sort of a, a, a far reaching plan. Yeah. To, to what you said, just sort of like, I just, he just wants to live a simple life. And so I guess he's, he really likes the idea of being a part of the beauty that is humanity and family life. Mm-hmm. He sees the beauty of family. He sees the the beauty of being part of a community. And he desperately just kind of wants that. And not even with the trappings or excesses that come with other kinds of human communities that have more affluence. So he's, he's like, I just want enough that we can live a secure, peaceful life. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think that especially because he he kind of yeah well I think the most important lines in this part uh, is when he's talking about what they're people not understanding what they're trying to accomplish or that they're not trying to accomplish anything. Then it really goes to to speak speaks to like not only does he want to live in this society, he doesn't want like a a tokenism situation where people are like oh yeah we'll accept you into our community it's it does you know it's even Mm. even the idea of like it's okay that you're different you can come in like no i i'm not different not at least not in like a way that would suggest that i don't belong in this community Mm. you're not letting me into this community i live Uh. in this community i think that that's actually and i you know i mean i'll i'll couch this by saying Mm -hmm. that i am middle-class white gentleman but i think that that's what a lot of people who are marginalized would say like i i don't want to feel like you're making special provisions for me to be a part of american society (laughs) i just want to be a part of american Mm. society (laughs) like so i think that that's kind of what he's getting and i think that that's what he got from you know I, i may be pulling movie stuff into my head too much but i think that that's what he got from scarlet witch that he mm. didn't get from other humans is that mm. she just liked him. <laughs> and it wasn't like, oh, well, we could have a robot Avenger. Sure. Mm. <laughs> no, she just fell in love with him. And that's the way it was. So I don't know. May, I may be overanalyzing this, but I think there's a little bit of that sort of don't allow me into mm. your community. I am a person or like I'm like a living being. I have I have equal right to be here. Yeah, like, you're not allowing me in. <laughs> I'm coming here, and everyone should be cool about it. I guess I don't know. No, it's that's an interesting distinction that I hadn't thought about. I think you you put your finger on something. Wow, I'm going to be thinking on that because it's hmm. yeah, because then it kind of puts this more agency on the people around him when it's like, well, okay, like you are, we are graciously allowing you, we're permitting you. 
to be here and yeah. vision we're deciding your worth right versus vision like like i never asked for your permission and i'm not looking for it although there's a little bit of maybe subconscious like one in the acceptance but i think to your point he doesn't want the seams to be sort of oh, he, yeah he he definitely wants it but uh, he doesn't want that to be the situation yeah he doesn't want it to be forced it's just, it just is yeah. like it still is he doesn't want it to be a situation i think he just knows that it will continue to be the situation. Mm. But I think maybe, I don't know if he hopes that this family situation will make it more likely that it'll just mm. seem normal. I think he's a little misguided, but as things move on here, we see that he's realizing it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's pretty much where we go next because they're going into the, you know, he wanted to make a family, a happy, normal family. And he thought he could, you know, just think, you know, I'll calculate it and I'll figure out how that works. And then the body and the dog, and he realizes all his efforts would likely produce the answer he knew was there. NP will never equal P, which is to say he's never going to know the answer of how he's supposed to, how this is supposed to work. So this was the fun little, uh, when faced with the unsolvable problem, do we retreat to the solvable? Do we abandon the impossible for the possible? Or do we maintain our search knowing full well that the answer may never be found? Yeah. Do we foolishly continue to count the infinite? That was kind of a... Oh, yes. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I just thought, yeah. And even some further from that, there's kind of like some some lines that, that gave me pause. It's funny how like it can get like really dark and cynical, but also hopeful and somehow like they're side by side and I'm not sure what to think or feel. <laughs> Well, speaking of giving someone pause, hmm. the dog, <laughs> he brings the dog. In. Yeah. Sorry. I thought I'd lighten the mood. That's fine. I, thought, you know, I think it's an interesting, what's interesting here is that we might maybe intellectually think that abandoning the impossible for the possible is not what you think of when you think of like a superhero. You, you think of them continuing to count the infinity to keep trying to do things that seem like they should be impossible you know to do the gattaca thing where you keep swimming even though you don't know if you're going to make it or not i think that's what happened in that movie <laughs> but it's interesting because i think he brings the dog in and the dog comes the dog actually gets viv to stop sitting with her hand, head in her knees and vin comes over and it almost seems to me like there's a touch of the right answer for what he's actually trying to do is to go back to that possible. Because hmm. here they are. Look, by the end of this chapter, they're 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 a family. Whether that's for the good of the world around them, don't get me mm. wrong. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing mm -hmm. for everybody else, but I don't know. Yeah, I I see them being a family again right here at the end. Yeah, that's what I mean by sort of a, a mixed thing, because by the end of like, oh, look, like, you know, he made the best of a tough situation and now they've got a dog and the kids are happy. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> How do we get this dog again? Oh, right. By stealing the brain of a neighbor's dog that got electrocuted when it uncovered the body of the person that his wife murdered, maybe not murdered, well, killed at least in self-defense, question mark. No, it wasn't. It wasn't self-defense. 
My point being, it's kind of like, oh, he just har- excessive force. Yeah. Perhaps he's harvested the brain of a dog who uncovered like a body buried in their yard. But like, you know what? We're just gonna make uh, lemonade out of lemons, and uh, now we have this cute robo dog thing. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's kind of an ending where it, it is kind of hopeful, and yet it just feels strange to be hopeful. Where that hope comes from or how it was built just seems like just a roller coaster of what I think about that. So anyway, <laughs> enough about those ramblings. But yeah, I think we've said it before, but we'll just kind of mention it again that uh, much of the narration that occurs in this book is from the viewpoint of Agatha Harkness, who is a, a longtime associate of the Scarlet Witch. And she's had some premonition about the uh, disaster that's about to come to pass by way of the vision and his family. Yeah, uh, it's interesting if you're wondering where they got uh, some of their ideas for WandaVision. Mm-hmm. As far as the narrating goes, it was Agatha all along. <laughs> now so. that is going to be stuck in my head forever <laughs> again. The number one hit single. Yeah, it, that seemed to take off. Yeah, yeah. so we come to the end of that uh, that issue. That yeah. issue. It was heartwarming. Mm-hmm. And then we get to a warehouse. Wait, is this a warehouse? I guess, or it's like... There's a Quinjet over there. Maybe it's like a hangar. Oh, maybe. Yeah. And we realize... Well, I mean, we kind of already knew Agatha was doing the, the narrating. But we get that moment where they're like, okay, he came to understand that he could not choose between family and practicality. Indeed, considering the situation, it was clear he had no choice at all. So you have that nice heartwarming part about him doing what he can for the family, like a good father. And then the next page, and so the vision has abandoned the illusion of P. In favor of reality of NP, he will now do anything in his attempt to find happiness with his wife and children. He will kill you. He will kill your families. He will raise the world. Ah, sunshine and rainbows. I know that it's, I know that it's not funny, but... It's a little bit in terms of the pivot it makes. <laughs> yes. It was like he's decided he's going to stay. His family is going to make this family thing work. And we're all going to die because of it. <laughs> you know what? The vision The vision's just, you know, finding his way on what it means to be human. Also, he will murder you all in your sleep. <laughs> and now he's basically gotten there. And there's no need for any of us. You're all going to die. <laughs> make your peace, I guess. No. <laughs> And what's really bummer is they're all in their pajamas. They're clearly ready to go to bed. Uh, I'm sorry. Those are costumes. Agatha, again. Those are their actual I was just about to go (laughs) night-night. Man, I asked for make-way for ducklings. (laughs) And you give me this drivel again. (laughs) Make-way for ducklings. That's a book, huh? I might have yeah. to take that one up for uh, for Jack. It's a little long. Marielle hasn't gotten through it yet, oh, okay. so it's a, it's probably maybe two maybe a book for two year olds. Okay, got to sure. work on our patients' vitamins before we get to this. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so. So, moving on, or should I say, moving back? Click, 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 click. Oh, that's the sound a clock makes as it's going backwards. That's right, everyone. Also the- <laughs> Instead of telling the story in order like a normal human being would do, we're going back in time. <laughs> this is the first time in the course of this podcast where people will find out that I have a beef with writers who skip around in time. <laughs> oh boy, I look forward to this being a reoccurring <laughs> segment, theme, trope in our in our podcast. 
yeah so you've got beef with flashbacks or just i have beef with and they didn't actually do it in this well a little bit they did with revealing Mm. plot points from the past that how's the the best way to put this well maybe you could tell me if the example i have in mind is anything like this that there's so there's a several different ways to tell a mystery story one way is that you tell a story where throughout the narrative you include elements that can serve as clues to the reader so that potentially they can solve the mystery themselves before the solution is revealed but there's another kind of story where you only get the critical clues that you would need to be able to solve it yourself at the reveal by the narrator if that makes sense yes, in I, the, I uh, do not like the latter what what do they call that scene the uh not the study. That's the summation like just, or whatever you call it, right? But uh, just sort of this classic, the, like the parlor room scene maybe is what they sometimes call it. But yeah, yeah. so there's situations where like it's like, oh, uh, here's some critical information that we hadn't shown before. And so there's no way for you to have put together sort of. Yeah, I, I, I don't care. I don't care for that. I don't care for, um, while I actually, I do really like the movie Ocean's Eleven, both the, you know, I like the remake too. Good. Mm-hmm. But the whole like... Um, all the stuff happening and then they go back in time and show you, oh yeah, they did this and they did that. And like, they were the policemen and like, they were this person and they were that person. And it's like, but there's (laughs) nowhere for me to know that. And that's not like the most egregious example, but that's the kind of thing where it's like, like anytime there's like a mystery and there's Mm -hmm. no way you could have had any idea, like you said, until like, like the sum up, which is unlike say the detectives that I like, which would be your monks and your uh, mm. Columbo. Columbo being the entire, all the fun is watching him figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I like a, a mystery or like a, a mystery, like some sort of thing like where I don't figure it out along the way, but when it gets revealed, I'm like, how did I not figure that out? <laughs> mm. I like mm-hmm. to get to the point where like, oh my gosh, I should have known. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find that to be a satisfying kind of, disappointment yeah <laughs> like uh usual suspects is borderline because hmm. there's really no way i could have seen the things that he was looking at but they were all there the whole time i'm sorry you've seen that right uh i don't think i so. am not gonna talk about uh, it anymore then never mind all right <laughs> <laughs> all right just just in so case. anyway i actually don't dislike the flashback okay in, um, in this so here all right <laughs> Yeah, this is, uh, I think the whole issue, from what I recall, is a series of flashbacks. Yeah, which really, I think there's only like one thing that directly pertains to this story. But I do think it's really got some stuff, I mean, along similar lines to what we've looked into already, but kind of prompts some questions about what it means to be a person. Well, anyway, I guess we can get into it and uh, we can kind of go from there. But it leads off with the Vision and the Scarlet Witch in their bedroom together when they were younger. And um, the Scarlet Witch, oh no, sorry, the Vision tells a joke that was told to him by Janet Van Dyne, also known as the Wasp. And uh, the joke goes, uh, let's see. Well, so you asked if Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, wants to hear it. She says, yes. He says, two toasters are sitting on a counter. One toaster turns to the other toaster and asks, do you sometimes feel empty? Then the other toaster says, oh my gosh, a talking toaster. (laughs) 
I say, oh my gosh, because this is a Christian podcast. And even though they take the Lord's name in here, I'm going to go ahead and just self-censor that. Think what you will about it. But <laughs> I actually did laugh at this joke. That was <laughs> that was pretty good. And, and Wanda finds this funny as well. And she laughs. They both have a good laugh. And Vision has the satisfaction of having successfully delivered a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeehaw. And then we go on to see them being lovey-dovey and romantic, even in the midst of battles, which actually was was kind of both funny and annoying for me. It's like, guys, you're on the clock here. But it's also <laughs> just kind of ridiculous. Like laser beams are flying around in the streets of New York as the rest of the Avengers are fighting. And uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch are smooching behind a tree. Who are they fighting? Nefaria or Nefaria is one of them. I'm trying to remember sort of what his shtick is. I've read him in a couple of things. I'm pretty sure in Brian Michael Bennis's Moon Knight, oh. he shows up. That's a story for another day. Not a villain that I get particularly excited about, but I think he's supposed to be fairly competent, from what I remember, or at least he's pretty strong. Fighting a couple of Avengers there, so. Yeah, so, you know, that's something. I think the main line I kind of got from this part of it was um, the vision says, tomorrow does not always come, and uh, Wanda says, oh, no, no, darling, that's not right. Every good witch knows tomorrow always comes. And so they have completely polar viewpoints on that matter. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm actually not sure which seems, which one seems more human in some ways, if I want to put it that way. So like the vision's kind of right in terms of recognizing a sense of mortality mm-hmm. or that we need to recognize sort of the preciousness of the time and life that we're given. But Wanda's thought for what it's worth also is kind of a valid one. It, well, it depends. Well, okay reading maybe a little too much into it a bit, depending on what you mean by tomorrow. Existence in time, maybe not, but I guess if you're looking at like a Christian or Catholic eternal perspective, mm-hmm. that even even passing from this earthly life, that it's not the end of your story uh, exactly. I don't know if that makes sense. What do, you, what do you think about all that I just kind of threw at the wall? I, uh, I mean, I guess it shows a little bit of their... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's kind of um, it's odd that it's odd to me that Vision is the one coming from the tomorrow doesn't always come angle, mm-hmm. given yeah. he's the robot. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's something deeper about witches that I am not aware of. But I don't know if we're seeing the the beginnings of him trying to be realistic or mm. and her not because you know we do. I mean, as the chapter is the sorry the chapter the issue goes on we do see one of them separating from reality a little bit Mm. this might tell us a little bit about what's going on in the larger story but i won't skip ahead so i don't know if i really spoke on what you're saying (laughs) no that's okay uh... it was just kind of something off the top of my head but yeah i thought the same thing that provision it's kind of like i'm not sure if it seems strange or if it makes sense that either like this is kind of his perspective by way of sort of what's the word i'm looking for looking at uncertainty the uncertainty of tomorrow mm-hmm. based on um, empirical, I guess, evidence in terms of we don't really know, maybe, versus the Scarlet Witch, who's kind of, I mean, she's bending kind of the rules of reality all the time with magic and right. and that sort of thing. Maybe she's got a different perspective in terms of she's not, well, I, I, I don't know if empirical data really figures into it. I'll let that lie, but yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, sort of like, why why would these two kinds of people have those particular ways of looking at sort of what what lies beyond the now 
But um, yeah, and we get to see a little bit more of sort of their extended connections throughout the Marvel Universe at a uh, what appears to be a dinner party. So we get to see Wanda's brother Pietro, otherwise known as Quicksilver. We see Agatha. We see Simon, also known as Wonder Man, and their welcoming vision into their family. So we're going through much of the highlights of sort of the younger years of Scarlet Witch and Vision. We see uh, we see them getting the Everbloom from Agatha. And at some point, Vision kind of uses Wanda's phrase, tomorrow always comes. And there's a sense of maybe he's trying to embrace sort of the hopefulness that Scarlet Witch has. But then we get to a scene where Wanda's setting up a nursery and she's talking about how Captain America is giving a blanket and how at this age, it's not a blanket they can use just yet. And Vision's trying to, as best he can, broach a very uncomfortable subject, which eventually he finally gets a word in edgewise. And he reaches out a hand to Wanda's and says that they're not real, which is to say the children. They're two sons. I believe they're twins. They certainly look like it. Yeah. Which, as may come as a surprise to nobody, Wanda reacts violently and she's very upset and calls vision a toaster and says that well she doesn't actually directly say that he's not real but she says they're not real what are you and vision says i want a family i want it as much as you do and uh eventually he goes on to say but this is not a family this is a lie and what good can come of this lie and then that's when wanda says actually she does directly say you're not real Mm -hmm. (laughs) finally came to the conclusion i did Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, it depends on what you mean by real. If you mean really human or... Yeah. But it's... From what I understand of Wanda's convoluted backstory and canon, as well as Vision's, which isn't much better, to be honest, they have... They find a way to have children and sort of work around their... Incompatible components. That is a good way to put it, yes. Through magic, it sounds like, or through a spell, which later it comes to light that somehow part of the spell involves Mephisto, who is essentially a demonic entity in the Marvel Universe, that the children are in some way, I don't know if they're pieces of him. When I looked it up on Marvel.com, they said shards of his soul, and I wasn't quite sure what his was referring to, if it was supposed to be Visions or Mephisto's. I guess Mephisto. And basically, I guess, re- reversing that, like Mephisto, sort of when when the, the shards are rejoined to him, basically their their children are no more or something like that. So it's uh, it's maybe not exactly a demonic pact, but it's, it's definitely kind of a thing of like, oh, here's this thing you want dangling in front. And then like it's it seems too good to be true. And that's because it is too good to be true in this case when you're kind of trying to find a backdoor through magic. I guess, or, or trying to bend reality. Yeah. So the vision basically recognizes that like, Hey, look, like we didn't, we, we've kind of bent metaphysical laws to, to get these children. And he's seeing that like, there's something missing and in her hurt, Wanda points out sort of what's either missing in vision or just sort of drawing attention to the reality of his existence, what he is. Mm-hmm. And that even if vision wants to be human, that ultimately it's, it's not something he can achieve. It's, yeah, it's a rough scene because they're both confronting something that they want. They want reality to be a certain way and they're trying to fashion it as such and 
they're having a hard time grappling with the idea that like maybe they can't i guess yeah yeah (laughs) yeah no they're they're sitting having this argument about about the i guess you call them children and i I guess it really is kind of i just kind of going back to what i said earlier he's really seems to be the one being realistic about this and she's I don't know. I'm, I have trouble commenting on because I, I don't 100% understand what's going on here. I mean, mm. I, I get what you've like. I kind of have like the idea of the backstory, but you know, I don't know the I don't have the character development through that backstory. But mm. I mean, at least it gets brighter on the next page. No, I'm sorry, it, it gets worse. My, my mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't get better. No, we have the white vision. Which um, I don't know. You've seen you've seen him in Wandavision. If you've seen Wandavision, mm-hmm. I guess he's a sort of copy of Vision. Is that uh, what's going on there? This is a difficult this is a difficult issue for me because it really does. I mean, it jumps around. It's it's less like a oh here's the reveal and more like here's some the relevant backstory to what's happening right now that has happened in other times. But we're just gonna help you out a little bit. So yeah, so at some point, Vision becomes compromised. I'm not familiar with the the details, but I think like his his memory gets wiped, and maybe like his body gets disassembled, and basically Hank Hank Pym or um, the original Ant Man mm-hmm. rebuilds him. And it's kind of this is the example I think of is from the show WandaVision. Actually, yeah. I think the Ship of Thebes kind of idea where it's like. Mm-hmm. It's him, but is it really him? Because it's got the same uh, like brainwaves and presumably personality to some extent. But it's like if you've rebuilt the body and you've rebuilt the mind and it's it's all like new parts, like is it still him or uh, a replica or like a facsimile of him kind of question? I almost kind of look at it as like a reboot of him. Yeah, and that's clearly how he looks at it as well as he informs his their children that he's not their father. Their mother is not his wife. <laughs> and it's okay to say this because it's the truth. <laughs> um, Scarlet Witch disagrees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She says, what's wrong with you? You used to be kind. And he asks, is the truth not kind? And it's which woof, uh, he learned. A... He clearly learns from that, uh, that it's not because the next scene he is erasing her memory. <laughs> yeah. All sorts of great decisions over the course of their life. He he is certainly great at reacting, <laughs> reacting. <sighs> yeah. So their children are gone, and Wanda's memories have been altered, and Vision's kind of a kind of a hollow version of his former self. And then we kind of fast forward a bit further, and oh, somehow they get all of the original. What does he call it? The restoration of his former operating system and by this point wanda's moved on and she's having a romantic relationship with simon and she thinks hey it's working because it's he's like you but he's not you which is well adjusted way of looking at things yeah (laughs) i was about to say toxic but oh yeah no you know i'm sorry that's what i meant i get those two things confused (laughs) sometimes oh boy (laughs) yeah this this sounds like one of those high school relationships where you just kind of like go, oh, oh, yeah, no, mm, that's not. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's idea. not. That, it's not a great way to approach it, and it's probably never a good thing to say to your ex. Yeah, no. So 
But mm. it's okay because she got him a gift. Yeah. But with her, with help from Hank Pym, she was able to create a gem like the uh, the one that Vision has on his forehead. And in the gem is sort of a downloaded or pre-programmed replica of her brainwave patterns. Yep. And the way she puts it is like, here, you could use this to make someone who's like me, but not me. So you can be happy too. So what's better than toxic relationships and <laughs> bad decisions along those lines? Robot ex helping your uh, Helping your ex to also pursue equally toxic relationships yeah. not to mention sort of. you've now downloaded the brain of the person you broke up with because you felt like they were departing from reality and you had to erase her brain because she had fake children she made with the devil so yeah, by all means that way let's make a super bot out of that brain <laughs> that seems like a sound decision on all accounts and i'm sorry on all I, fronts i'm i'm not uh people make mistakes i'm just saying yeah <laughs> This whole like we got divorced, and then you became a like a uh, and you were a white thing, and I had fake devil children or part devil children, but then I was erased from my brain, so I don't know that. So here's a gem, ex husband. You can have me in a robot body. Yeah. Like I. And the well, and then it comes full circle, doesn't it? Because basically, Vision tries to confront Scarlet Witch we saw earlier with her creating a family in ways that are. How to, how to put it, it's questionable. So he's basically doing the same thing that she did in his own way. She was doing it through magic and he's doing it through super science. True. Which, uh, you know, same thing. <gasps> Depending on what universe you're... Yeah. Hmm. Speaking of things that bother us in <laughs> different stories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the whole thing with Thor and like, oh, magic is just science we don't get. It's like, mm, or maybe magic is just magic. And <laughs> so, so, so here we are, and we uh, we have uh, our brain waves and robot bodies, two X's, and uh, you know the robots are sitting in bed together, and Vision tells the same joke, with the notable difference that Virginia does not laugh, nope. or respond to it. So because they're two toasters sitting next to each other. Oh boy. <laughs> More on that next time. <laughs> More on that next time. So that's that's where that issue leaves off. So yep. that's that's where we're going to put a bookmark, put a pin in that. Yeah. So not a pin cuz it's a library book. Oh, you're right. I will I will stay my hand <laughs> for my book pen collection. Mm. <laughs> yes. So that's uh like so much of this. A fair bit to chew on. Yeah, so stay tuned next time where we dive into further and things only get cheerier and brighter. That was sarcasm. Absolutely. It doesn't. <laughs> but it's thought-provoking and that's all we need, sort of. Some levity helps. Sure. That's what we provide. Keep those brainwaves stimulated so they fit into the right robot. Um. Well. <laughs> yeah, so uh, until next time, you can email us at letters at shvpodcast.com and Brendan where can they find you? You can find me at the library at, uh, at the library on Twitter or Brendan J. Lyons on uh, on Facebook I have an author page so yeah awesome and we have a website shvpodcast.com mm -hmm. so if you want to share that with anybody who is not using a podcast application if that's an easier place to access please uh, send that their way or you can check it out yourself be it ever so humble oh um yeah no it really helps us if you can uh, you know, leave us a rating um 
always helpful. Yes, absolutely. Love to hear from you. All right. Well, until next time, everybody, let us all grow in virtue and holiness. Let's become saints. Amen. Until next time, Brennan, it's been a pleasure as always.